All right. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 9. This is the second and final week of our stewardship series. We do, if you're a guest with us, you picked a great time for your first time. Uh, we do a stewardship series once a year, and we typically do it in November for either two or three weeks. And so uh, just so happens your lucky day, you came on the day we talk about money and giving and all that. Um, and which you know, I know is awkward for some people. Uh, it's awkward for you because uh, of particular reasons, but it can be awkward for the person preaching as well. It used to be really awkward for me, but then I saw just the life it gives in people's life and how many people worship uh, the God of money over God. And, uh, uh, and so I see that, man, every time I'm preaching, I'm battling the enemy on this issue. And, uh, and so I don't feel as awkward about it anymore because uh, it's not just your money. It's bigger than that. And uh, it's not just, you know, uh, you giving to something. It's much bigger than that. And, and that's why we've called this series Trust Issues, because basically what you do with your money shows who you trust. Uh, and, and, and what you trust. And so uh, that's, that's where we are. That's what we're going to be talking about it. And, and I know uh, it, it, this has become an, a delicate issue in our culture, primarily because uh, of uh, preachers that have mishandled this and manipulated this thing, right? That they preach, you know, give God your money and to his mission. And they don't use it for God's mission. They use it for their mansion, right? And, uh, and so they've misused these things. And, and, and uh, you know, you, you've all heard, you know, the uh, TV preachers that are saying, that'll tell you to sow a seed of faith and watch this spread uh, the gospel and watch God give you back. You know, if you give 10 bucks, God will give you back 10 grand, uh, I'm not saying any of that today, uh, and I want to give you a wholehearted, holistic message on what uh, our money, what we do with our money in, is an indicator of our spiritual, uh, spiritual health, really, and I really get righteously angry um, towards preachers like that, you know, preachers that have a PhD, Pentecostal hairdos. They're, you know, they're all the time just trying to build their own kingdoms and build their own wealth. And, uh, and they abuse the word, the preaching of the word for personal gain. Uh, I can promise you that none of our staff houses are going to be on MTV Cribs. All right. Uh, I drive an 05 Tacoma with 230,000 miles on it. It might die today. Right. So I'm not in this to get your money, right? I'm obviously, right? I, I'm not in this so I can get, you know, better whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm preaching this for your soul's sake. Matter of fact, we're going to see that our money and our souls are so intertwined that for me to avoid preaching this would be an injustice to you and to the Lord. And so we're going to continue to try to peel back the tentacles that our culture and the love of money has wrapped around our hearts uh, and, and, and so that our hearts can truly begin to live what we just sang, which is all I want is you, Jesus. And, um, and so that's what we're doing today. Uh, we're going to see money as a great indicator of your spiritual health. I'm going to give you some verses that will show you how connected those two things are. You know, we live in a country, if you live in a country where, <clears throat> it, you know, you got your head chopped off for following Jesus and you were still loud and proud about Jesus, you would say, yes, that dude is the real deal. He really believes what he's speaking to. Well, obviously in our culture, it plays out a little differently than that. Like it's easy in our culture to walk the walk without talking the talk. To talk the talk without walking the walk. 
take those, flip it, reverse it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's easy to do that in our culture. Well, it, one of the ways that you know and you, you can begin to see if, if you really believe what you say you believe is by looking at your finances. It's, it, it's, it's the, the, the first person that will point you out as a liar is your own wallet. <laughs> Not anybody else, but you look at your own life, your own accounts, your own whatever, and you say your wallet would be the first one to, to say, no, no, you're lying. You don't believe this. And, and so we're going to see how interconnected these, these things are and, and, and how, uh, you know, what we, what, where we put our money is what we truly worship, quite honestly. And so let, let's look. Ecclesiastes 5.10. I want to read you some verses, a few of many verses that I could read you. You know, Jesus taught more about money than any other issue. And so I could read you so many verses about how our souls are connected with our money. And, uh, and you know this to be true. But let's read a couple. Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Some of you think that if you just had a little more money, you would be satisfied. That is a lie. You will not be satisfied by a little more money. Because the issue is, once you get a little bit more, you'll think, uh, if I just had a little bit more. Or if I had a little bit more, then I just need just a little bit more. And so, someone was once asked, how much is enough? And the answer was, a little more. We're always going to have this insatiable desire for more if that's what our hopes are in. And so you can see he's saying to us, the one who loves money will never be satisfied by it. You'll always be wanting. You'll always be chasing, trying to get more. You'll never have enough. Last week, we read the verse that said you can't serve both God and money. You will love one and use the other one to serve the one you love. You'll love God and use money to serve God, or you'll love money and use God to serve money. You can't serve both masters. And, and then I want to read you this, 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So our souls and our money are, are, are closely connected what we do with our money is a huge indicator on our spiritual health, right? So that's why we teach about it. Last week, we talked about the tithe. And, you know, obviously, uh, the tithe is God's command for us to give 10%, right, of our income back to him, into the storehouse, into the church. Now, I know that hits a lot of people in the eyes because uh, culturally, church culture speaking, I think our church is better than this average-wise, but statistically, people who are regular attenders of church, only 2 to 3% of those regular attenders actually tithe. That means 98 to 97% of the church doesn't tithe. So there's a good chance that when I talk about those things, it hits you in the eyes. That's just part of it, right? And, and, and so we talked about how last week, this is one of the graces that God gives us to remove from our hearts a love of money that keeps us from making Jesus our priority and the most important thing in our life. That the grace of the tithe is the command that he's given us so that we can have a practical way in which twofold. We rip the tentacles of greed out of our heart and fund the mission of the church. Right. Uh, and, and, and so we saw that when we were talking through the tithe and 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 um, and, and we talked about that last night and, and uh, last week. And, and I want to I want to encourage you, too, because, again, just repeating, God doesn't need your money. 
Now, the church does to, to fund what the church is doing, but God himself doesn't need your money. Your salvation is not dependent upon your money. None of that is depending upon God. Needing, you know, God's not in heaven saying, hey, uh, Holy Spirit, how much cash flow we got here? Uh, I really want to do something in this orphanage, but I don't know that we got enough money. Right? That's not, God's not doing that. God, if you remember, Jesus pulls money out of the mouths of fishes, of a fish. Right? Pulls the money out of a fish. Right? He, he sneezes fully furnished universes. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't need your money. Right? But he wants your heart. That's the whole thing. Because he knows, and the scripture is very clear, that our hearts are very tied to our money. There's two things you don't mess with in people's life. Their money and their kids. Right? And, and we're so tied to our money. And so God is saying, no, 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 no. I want, I want me to be that love in your life. I want me to have the whole of your heart. I want, I want me to be that. And so he, he doesn't want our money. He doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. But he knows the way to our heart is our money. That's why the scripture says, where your, treasure is, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You follow your money. Your heart follows your money. And so he's wanting your heart. Uh, he doesn't need your money, but he wants your, he wants your heart, right? And, um, and so we, we saw that the grace that the Lord gave us through the tithe. We're going to talk about another grace today uh, that he's given us to rip those tentacles of greed out of our heart. And that, that grace is generosity. Now you may say, David, I thought that's what you talked about last week, the tithe. No, uh, when you tithe, you are being obedient to the commands of God. That is baseline, okay, I want to obey you, God. This is what I do. Generosity goes above and beyond those things to do what God has called you to do specifically, right? So the tithe, is the, it doesn't make you generous. It makes you obedient. Generosity is above and beyond that tithe. And again, it's not about your money. It's about your heart. It could, it could be not just money, but your life, a generous lifestyle, which we'll see. And we're going to look specifically at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter nine, and, and, and we're going to we're going to see primarily this passage assumes that anybody who's a Christian, anybody who claims to be born again, anybody who claims to be a follower of Christ, is a generous person. That's what this verse is going to assume. It's going to assume that if you claim Christ, then you are obedient to God through giving, and you are a generous, cheerful giver. You're going you're going to see that. So let, let's read Second Corinthians nine. Uh, 6 through 11. And our bottom line, before I dive in, our bottom line is generous God, generous people. And, and we'll talk more about that. But basically, our God has been generous to us. What he does is he, we're made in his image. He's continuing to make us more like Jesus. Jesus himself was generous. So to, to claim to be a Christian and not be generous are very opposite of one another. And so we're going to see that uh, through the scripture today. All right, 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 6 through 11. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decided in his heart, <clears throat> not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. A couple of things here. First of all, Paul says you shouldn't give reluctantly or under uh, compulsion, right? The, the, the heart of a true believer doesn't say, oh, okay, 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 just get off my back, here's 10%. Right? That's not the heart of a believer. The heart of a believer says, what do you want from me, God? I, I, I want, I, I, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? What, 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 I want you to have my whole heart. I want more of you. So if it means getting rid of this, then yes, let's do it, right? So it's not a motive of begrudging submission, right? It's, it's recognizing that we've been given so much and that God makes his children generous. That's what Paul is saying here in essence. Like you have a generous God who's given you so much. He, remember we taught on John 3, 16. He gave his son so you might have life. Right? Like so here's a generous God. He doesn't produce stingy children. It's not what God, that is the antithesis of the gospel, right? If, 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 if the fruit of the Holy Spirit was hoarding and stinginess, it's like, okay, God's really moving in my life and I'm keeping all my stuff. Right? That doesn't make sense. Those things don't go together, right? When you hear of God working in someone's life, it, it's, man, he's calling me to be generous, to give, to be a blessing, Right? So those are gospel uh, ideals and principles, right? And God's, God being gracious to us, therefore he makes gracious, uh, generous children, right? Second thing I want you to see is Paul says that God supplies both the seed and the, the bread. He's attacking the ownership myth here, right? It's the idea is like, hey, I baked this bread. Oh, yeah? Where'd you get that bread from? Well, the wheat that I picked. Oh, great. Where did you get that wheat from? Well, the seed. And where did the seed come from? Right, God. God is the giver of all things. The scripture says all good things are from above, are from him. God is the giver of all things. We, we've talked about this, right? You might say, no, no, I worked hard for my money. Oh, yeah? Who gave you the breath in your lungs? Uh, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the work ethic that you have? Who gave you the economy that your job even exists? God did. God has given you all of those things. Every good gift has come from God. He's the owner of all things. He has lavished upon you and given you everything that you have has come from God. And so he's dispelling. It's like this. Uh, a road trip with my family, right? And I stop at the gas station and I buy my kids some candy, some M&Ms. Right? My kids love M&Ms. So I bring them some M&Ms. And I, hey, hey, kids, here are you some M&Ms. Don't eat these till after lunch. All right, cool. That's a fight in itself, but yeah, okay. Um, after lunch, they're diving into the M&Ms, and I say, hey, 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 let me have some of those. No, they're mine. Oh, are they? Let me help you understand a few things. I bought those with my money. You don't have a job. I bought you those. I graciously gave those to you, right? And so if I want some back, you're going to give me some m and Matter of fact, give me all the M&Ms. I'm going to eat them right here in front of you because I can do that, right? And matter of fact, listen, it, it, you, do you not realize that I could go in that gas station? I got this kind of money. I can buy all of those peanut M&Ms. I, I can make it rain M&Ms on you. 
Tammy, they're yours. <laughs> no, they're mine. I give you some. Right? Don't we hate that in our kids? Don't we drive us crazy? But isn't that what we do with God? God pours out on us so much, and we say, no, 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 this is mine. And God says, oh, really? I'll show you what's yours. The God who in Job, he says, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything you have or don't have is because of God. So he says, I'm going to give you these things. Now, I want, I want some of those m ms back. Yes, God, take as many as you want. <laughs> we do that, right? I, I think another thing I want us to uh, notice from the scripture here is uh, in verse 8, God wants us to be generous. And, and he says, and through that generosity, he will supply what you need to abound in every good work. Essentially what Paul is saying here, he's saying that, that living a generous lifestyle is how you get off of the sidelines and into the game. Uh, this week, if you're a basketball fan, this week, uh, number one Duke played number two Michigan State. Right, and Duke won, and uh, I'm not a Duke fan. I just saw the game. Uh, but Duke fans are crazy, right? They're they are a breed of people that have lost their minds, right? Uh, they are they have affectionately earned the term Cameron's crazy. They, their stadium is Cameron Indoor Stadium. Cameron's crazies because the game they're nuts. They're screaming their heads off. They're jumping up and down. They're 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 crazy. They paint their entire bodies. They're, I mean they're just going nuts at these games, right? Uh, some of these fools will even sit out in the the cold, camp out in, in tents to get tickets to games, right? They're crazy. They're nuts. They're, they're fanatics. They're, they are fans, right? And, 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 but but here, here's the reality. You know where that fan is not? That fan is not at the gym at 6 a.m. when the team has to do wind sprints. They ain't there. They're tucked in, cozy, in bed. You know, where the, you know when the team plays on the road? And it gets down to the end of the second half. And, man, it, it's, it's, a, it's a grinding game. It, it, they're, they're, the team's trying to gut it out and find some more energy to finish this off and win the game. You know what the fan does? He can pause it, go refill his drink, get another chicken wing, come back in, hit play. That's where the fan is. He's in the lazy boy. Right? And the fan is so finicky, I know this from personal experience, that when the team loses, they get angry. When the team loses a lot, they get apathetic. That's probably where I am as a Tennessee fan. That's very apathetic. But, but we get angry, we get apathetic, and in reality, a win or a loss costs us nothing. It costs us nothing for, for the spectator. For the fan, you're not there grinding out, getting in good shape. I always love it when it says, we won. You didn't do nothing. You sat on the couch. You, you got, you know, cheese dip on the side of your face. Like you did nothing. Yeah, but we won. The spectator does nothing. And it costs them nothing. And I think that in our culture and in our country, there are a lot of fans of Jesus spectators watching God work 
and do things in other people's lives, but not themselves in the game. And what happens is, is churches are filled with spectators. And as long as things are going good, they're like, yeah, go team. Our team is great. But as soon as the church starts doing poorly or something happens, some, some sort of starts going bad, then all of a sudden they get angry or they get apathetic and they say, okay, I'm, I'm bailing on this. And, and we have a lot of spectators, a lot, a lot of fans just watching God work through other people. And, and not in, in and of themselves. And Paul here is saying that the difference between a spectator and a player primarily sits on the fact of, are you generous? Now, I think he's talking holistically generous. Not just with your money, though, that's part of it. But is your life generous? Are you giving of yourself? Are you giving? Are, are, does God have opportunity to not just work for you, but through you. See, a lot of people come to church because of what they can get from it. I want God to work for me. But God doesn't just want to work for you. He wants to work through you. He wants to use you. He wants you to be a part of his mission and purpose in the world. And so he needs people that are generous, holistically generous. Money, yes, of course, but time, serving, lives, kids, homes, cars, whatever we have, it's yours. Use me. I don't just want to be a spectator. I don't just want to be a fan. I don't want to get to my end of my life and say, God, I really watched you do great things in everyone else's life. I want to get to the end of my life and say, God, you used me. I'm so grateful that you used me. And that's what I want for you, to be in the game, for God to work through not just spectating, watching things happen, but being a part of, I mean, it's going to cost you something, right? If some of you are saying, yes, that's me. I want to sign up for kids ministry and help in Soul Station and, and, and take care of this need. If that's you, it's going to cost you something. That means you're going to have to come here for two services. You're going to have to give up your Sunday of sleeping in and get in here a little early, like 830. And you're going to have to get in. You're going to have to drink your coffee a little earlier or whatever and get in here. And it's going to cost you because you're going to go serve and you're going to have to rank up kids and keep them from biting each other and that's going to give you a headache and you it's going to cost you things the generous lifestyle should cost you things do you really want a christianity that costs you nothing that's not christianity that's not matter of fact when jesus said when you come to him he says you need to count the cost because it's going to be take everything it's going to take everything you count the costs. So, so we don't want to be a people that are just spectators and fans. I'm, I'm church that's actively in the game. Use me, God. Don't just work for me. Work through me. I want to be used by you. I want to be used by you, God. Now, that's a shift in thinking, not, not just for us, but through us. That's a shift in thinking for our culture. Now, let's read on uh, in 2 Corinthians 9. 12 through 15, it says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they would glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks, I love this verse. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. If you want to memorize a verse, that's a real short one. All right, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Two things we see here. Uh, when God's people are generous, first, they meet the needs of the people. Uh, hungry people are fed. Cold people are, are given clothes and warm. Uh, poor people's needs are, are met. and taken. Orphans are loved. And I, I want to encourage you a little bit because <clears throat> you might not know what your tithe and things go to. Our church is a part of a lot of ministries in our community. And I want to I tell you a couple of those that because of your obedience to tithe uh, that our church jumps in on and, and is a part of. And um, you know, one of the programs we do here locally uh, in all Rutherford County is a backpack program. Uh, essentially, if you're not, not familiar with it, we send kids home uh, that don't have food at home over the weekend. We fill up backpacks and put it in there. We fill up these bags, put it in their backpacks so they have meals for the weekend. You do that through your tithes. Uh, we have benevolence program. We, we work with a ministry called Community Helpers that helps keep lights on and water on and, and uh, meets those basic needs that people are uh, having and they, that they maybe can't afford at the moment. That's what your tithe is going to. It goes to uh, ministries like Journey Home, uh, Room at the Inn, which is our homeless ministry that we bring every Friday night. We, we bring a community of homeless men in and they have a warm place to sleep. Uh, can bathe, they get haircuts and food and clothes and taken care of. That's what your tithe goes to. Even last week, I didn't mention it, but last week we were able to give a generous contribution to the church in Texas that experienced a tragedy. We, we sent money to them as fellow brothers and sisters. I mean, we want to help, help them get it back on their feet and take care of them. That's what your tithe goes to. We, we are continually meeting the needs of people uh, in our community around us. And, and, uh, and you see ministries like the toy store, Operation Christmas Child, all these things that are going on to meet the needs of people in our community. But, but we don't just meet needs to meet needs. Second reason you see here that, uh, that happens, second thing that happens when God's people are generous is that people praise God. One of my pet peeves about nonprofits particularly nonprofits, is they'll do a lot of good human, humanitarian work uh, but, but has no gospel with it. And so you can meet all the needs in the world, but if you don't take care of the greatest need, which is soul care, then you're missing the point. You will help a lot of people be warm for now and spend eternity away from God in hell. And so you see in this passage, the generosity of the people is meeting the needs, but it's meeting the needs so the people will praise God. So you meet needs, but you take the gospel. So that's not a dichotomy. Those things go together. We meet needs to take the gospel. Well, that's just manipulating people. No, it's not. It's taking care of needs and taking the gospel. The greatest need. And so you see that when God's people are, are generous, people's needs are taken care of, but the gospel advances. It opens doors for you when you're generous in your own life to be able to share the gospel. Try it. This week, buy someone's dinner. When you're at a restaurant, buy someone's dinner. And then just say, hey, I'm so, I just wanted to bless you. I, I worship Jesus. I love you. Be blessed. Opportunity for you to bless someone and share the gospel. When you're generous, people listen to you. People don't listen to stingy people. They just don't. They don't I don't, I don't, we don't want, it's just natural. We, do you want stingy people around you? Do you want, self, no, you don't. You don't want a greedy boss. You don't want greedy kids. You don't. 
And so when you're generous, it gives you opportunity to share and people to listen. It gives you great opportunity. And so I think it's a good question for us to ask ourselves, are we generous? We might think, yeah, I'm a generous. I think I'm generous. But when you, I think it's a good question to keep asking ourselves, are we generous? Do we give as God gave? As his children, are we representing God well with our generosity? Do we give like God gives, right? Uh, I think most people aren't generous and don't give because uh, I think the main reason is because of fear. They're afraid. And that fear works its way out in, in different ways. That fear might be, well, I don't know if I got enough uh, money at the end of the month. Or that fear might be, I don't know what retirement's going to look like. I don't know what Social Security's going to look like. I don't know. I'm just going to kind of keep it all here because I don't know what my future is going to be like. Or it could be fear of, hey, if I do this, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to you know, pay this or, 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 or get my new whatever, TV or car or whatever. If, I, if I'm doing that, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do these things. And so this fear begins to creep up in our lives that we, we, we don't want to do this because we might not do this. We might miss out on something or we might you know, not have enough. So I think it robs us uh, of being uh, generous. Now, I read this week, supposedly, now, uh, you know, don't Google this, you know, this is, don't Snopes this story, all right, uh, because uh, I'm taking some pastoral license here, okay, uh, but supposedly, the, uh, uh, th- there was a manual handed out to uh, Peace Corps, a uh, Peace Corps manual handed out uh, to people serving in the Amazon on how to survive an anaconda attack. Yes, Big Snake. Uh, Big snake, it's, uh, I, I don't need a manual. You just run. I'm going to run. I'm going to tuck tail and run. That's what I'm going to do. Don't need a manual. But an account can be up to 35 feet long, could swallow an animal. That's 350 pounds, okay? Uh, here's, what the, here's what the manual says. Here are the steps to surviving an anaconda attack. Number one, don't run. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm dead, right? Number two, lie flat on the ground and keep arms close to your side and legs together. You know, they say the anaconda is fast enough to catch you. I say let it try. <laughs> and I don't have to be faster than the snake. I just have to be faster with, than whoever I brought with me. <laughs> right? No greater love than a man lay down his life for a friend. It's biblical, Right? God will bless you. Yeah. Um, number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge you and climb over your body. Ah! <laughs> number five, do not panic. Do not panic. Kidding me? Number six, after the snake has begun to examine you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet in first. It always swallows from the feet in first. Lord, I hope so. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. Number seven, the snake will then begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Are you kidding me? Right? Number eight, 
When the snake has reached your knees, slowly, with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently insert it into the snake's mouth, between its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upwards and sever its head. Number nine, be sure to have your knife. (laughs) Now, I don't know if I could escape an anaconda attack, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to follow this manual. Probably my manual is going to have two rules in it. One, wet yourself. Two, run like a rabbit on Red Bull. That's it, right? I'm going to be panicking. I'm going to be freaking out. I'm not going to let the snake start eating me, right? And, 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 and here's the thing. This kind of fear, this kind of panic that sets in that would keep me from doing what I should do or what the manual says I probably am supposed to do, panic and fear, put those two together, panic and fear keep me from doing what the manual says. Same thing is true in every aspect of our life. Fear, panic keeps you from doing the things that you ought to do. Fear. Will, will paralyze you. It will spiritually paralyze you and keep you from being a part of the mission and purpose of God. It, 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 you know, if that snake comes, I'm running like crazy and I'm, I'm going to get eaten. <laughs> I'm not, it's not going to work for me. Panic is going to set in. and I'm going I'm to miss out on life. <laughs> it's the same thing for all aspects of our life. Fear, panic, keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do, keeps us from being a part of the mission and the purpose of God. But there's a bigger principle at work here. In the beginning of of the verse we read, it says, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Tim Keller calls this an absolute principle of Scripture, meaning that you always reap what you sow. And that the book of Proverbs, in essence, is a whole lot of this principle. I want to read you some Proverbs. I want to read you three uh, quickly. 11, Proverbs eleven eighteen: The wicked earn deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Proverbs 22, 8 and 9. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You reap what you sow. What are you sowing? This principle plays out in every aspect of our life. It plays out in our, uh, our godliness, our sanctification. If you, if you sow in your mind the word of God, right, which you should do, if you sow in your mind the word of God, you will reap uh, righteous, the fruit of righteousness. You will reap the fruit of righteousness. If you sow in your life, in, in, your, in, in quality time with your spouse or your kids, right, you're going to reap healthy relationships. Right? No one ever got to the end of their life and said, oh, I wish I'd have spent way less time with my kids. Now we think that now, but later, you know, when we're empty nesters, right? We're never like, I wish I'd have spent less time. No, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow in your kids. You reap what you sow with your spouse. You reap what you sow with every aspect of your life. <coughs> this plays out in the negative as well, right? It plays out this way with sin. 
When you sin, right? When you, when you uh, uh, participate in sin, you're sowing into your life uh, habits. You're sowing into your life um, basically wickedness that will grow if you let it continue to grow. You reap what you sow, right? Like the, the, when, you, when you sow into sin, it produces in you a greater craving for sin. You, you develop this appetite for sin, right? We know that to be true about appetites, right? Like, for instance, uh, if we go down here to uh, um, Outback, right? And we're eating together. We have a blooming onion, right? Some of you hate that, but I like it. Ribeye, baked potato, bring on the dessert, Right? And we get done with that meal, we're like, I will never do that again. Too many carbs, right? Too much sugar. And then four hours later, where are we? In the pantry, looking for chips. Like, how am I here? How did I get here, right? That's what appetite does. When you quench an appetite, it just grows. It doesn't, it doesn't go away, it just grows. It, produces in you more appetite. And that's what sin does. It produces more appetite for more sin. That's why it's important for you to cut it off. But generosity works this way as well. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. The more generous you are as an individual, you're going, you're going, to, you're going, to, you're going to reap the rewards of that. Whether that be money or serving or family or discipleship of your kids, you know, everything you're doing to be a generous individual is going to, to you're, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. And, and, and so I guess the question that would be good for us to wrestle with is, what are you sowing? If we had this theoretical field and we're going to reap what we sow, what does your field look like? Is, is it, is it? Plus, is it, is it reaping, you know, great fruit and great reward? Or is it, well, I fear for most of us, just a barren wasteland? You reap what you sow. Again, this is in every aspect of life. It always blows, really, it saddens my heart, to be quite honest, when someone comes to me and they say, David, uh, my, my kids are off the rails, my marriage stinks, things aren't going well for me. And I say, okay. Uh, let me ask you some questions. Um, are you walking with God? No. Are you reading your Bible? No. Do you have you and your family in church? Not regularly. Okay. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. What are you sowing? What are you sowing with your money? What are you sowing with your time? What are you sowing with your church? What are, you, what are you sowing? Because you will reap whatever you're sowing. You don't want to get to the end of your life with, with no fruit. To, to be a spectator of everyone else's gardens and everyone else's land. And they've reaped what they're sowing. Man, they get to heaven and say, God, isn't my neighbor's field just awesome? They did a whole lot. I love seeing what you did in their life. And I, that pastor, man, I love seeing what you did in his life. That small group leader, man, God, you really showed off. They, they, they sowed and reaped and you poured out on them. And, but not me. This is... Very individualistic, and you reap what you sow. 
And I want you to reap a harvest that is bountiful in all areas of your life. Money, your relationship with the Lord, your children. I want you to reap in a mighty way. I want God to work in you in that way. I want to take just a moment. We're going to watch a video. And uh, it's testimony. It's going to be a little awkward because it's me in the video. Isn't that awkward? So I'm going to walk off. I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to come back up and talk to you again. Uh, is what it is. The other campuses don't have to deal with this awkwardness. Uh, but in essence, the video is our one-day offering video, and you're going to see in that video how you have been generous and how LifePoint campuses have been generous specifically to us. The building that we are in now, remodeled building, because of the generosity of people all around us and the generosity of our church. But you're also going to see an opportunity for you to be generous to our other campuses, specifically our international campuses. So let's watch this video. Jesus gave us this instruction, go and make disciples of all nations. Our response as a faith family to his instruction to reach our community and the nations is to send the church to be the church. To support our efforts as a sending church, we created a giving opportunity called the One Day Offering. The One Day Offering helps our faith family to be a sending church as we give to ministries who proclaim the name of Jesus here in Middle Tennessee, nationally, and throughout the world. Your generosity of one day's salary will help the nations hear the gospel. Sacrificing your income of one day will allow countless lives to have their one day changed for eternity. Many of you responded and gave generously to the One Day Offering for the LifePoint Riverdale Campus. Because of your obedience and generosity, we now can worship together as one faith family, have more intimate areas for biblical community, and have a secure area for our children to grow in the Lord. In the next few weeks, we're going to be asking you to give generously again to the One Day Offering. Your giving empowers the efforts to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child. Thank you for joining us as we continue to send the gospel to the nations. One God, one vision, one day to change the world. So that is December 3rd uh, is the specific day. You can give any time leading up to that. Just designate it as one day offering. But that, what that is going is funding our international campuses to continue to do the ministries that they do. I know in Bangkok, they've got a great uh, ministry in the slum, slum district right across the street from the church. There's a college ministry uh, that is serving there right across the street from the church. There's uh, folks serving in the, in the red light district there as a part of that campus. There's, there's a lot of things going on in that com church community that we help enable them to continue to do that good work. In Belgium, too, man, what an incredible, beautiful congregation there. We're seeing people come to know Christ, be baptized, being discipled up in the Lord, ministries going on all throughout that city. And so just great opportunities for you to be generous uh, to those campuses, to, to love on them, other life pointers, and, 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 and to, to bless them in that, that capacity. So just designate it one day or bring it on the third, either way, uh, as a great opportunity for you to, to be generous. We gave you plenty of those opportunities 
uh, as well. But uh, thank you for being here. Again, hear, hear my heart. Uh, I want you to be close to the Lord. That's ultimate. And so the gods that rip us away from him, um, man, I want to continue to kill out of our lives. And so, man, let us be a generous church, a generous a generous people. Let us reap uh, what we sow and let us sow some really good stuff. Let us sow unto the Lord, sow our lives unto him and his mission so that we will reap uh, all, all his righteousness, all his fruit in our life. Man, he, you know, um, again, I told you at the beginning of the sermon, I'm not telling you that if you give 10 bucks, you're going to get back 10 grand. You might get something way better than that. You might be generous to an individual and God blesses your home and your family with a godly home, godly kids, a home that openly loves Jesus. I think that's a little better than cash. And so I don't know how God will, will pour out on your life. I just know the scripture that, that says that he will. He may give you a 10 grand check. It's great. Make sure you tithe on it. And, But I think he might give better things than that. I think he might pour out in your life in godliness and righteousness. I think he might pour out in your life to be able to use, be used in your community, see people come to know Christ and your kids come to know Christ. I think he will pour out on you in greater ways. Trust him. We said this is trust issues. He's a good God. You can trust him. No, no longer being spectators or fans, waiting for God to work for us, but we want him to work through us. We're, we're going to take a, t- a time of just response. And m- maybe during the song, you just want to give God praise for all, all the ways that he's been generous to you, because he has been. And you may want to sit under just the, may, maybe he's working in your heart, say, Man, how can I be generous? How can I be used of you, God? Maybe he'll speak those things into your heart. Whatever it is, maybe you don't know Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him, man, I'd love to talk with you. I'll be through those doors and to the right. Our team will be out there. We would love to help answer some of your questions, field some of your questions, whatever. We'd love to talk with you, okay? Uh, Let's pray together and then we'll worship. Father, thank you so much for your grace on us. You are a generous God. The scripture says that you have uh, lavished grace on us. We know that to be true because we know how evil we were, how wicked our hearts are. And so, Father, as you are generous, would you continue to make us to be like you? Continue to make us be a generous people. I pray that we would trust you and trust your word and the principles we find there of reaping what we sow that we would believe those things and we would step into those things and we would embrace them and we would test it and see I do know we can't outgive you because you are so generous to us but Father continue to make us be like you generous as you are generous giving as you are giving loving of the people around us aware as you are aware Let us not just ignore needs, but be very aware of them. Give us hearts that run after the things you love and care about. 
We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.